Hello, and welcome to Where Eagles Dare. I'm Peter. And I'm Dave. And you're very welcome. This time, we are looking at the Eagle Holiday Special 1984. Special in quotation marks. We have, yes. quote, over 60 fantastic pages. Let's just see if that bears out. How are you, Dave? I'm good. I think I'm doing remarkably well, considering the nature of the world and the state of everything at the moment. Hopefully, um, everyone listening, if you're having a lockdown, a holiday special is in tune with being on an enforced holiday, especially. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, speaking of the state of things, this special. Hmm. Yeah, well, should we keep our powder dry? No, Peter, I have to say, in in the interests of education and information, this we have positive physical proof of Leiden's first and second law of British comic dynamics. Oh, what's that? Uh, That the quality is inversely proportional to the number of text stories squared. Uh, That's the first law. And the second law is, and that goes for other publications, reprints too. Fair enough. Let's let's see. (laughs) So... These 60 fantastic pages wrapped around the first drawn cover for the Eagle Holiday Specials. Look, it's not a great milestone, but we've got to take well, them where we can get them. I'm not too sure if it counts as drawn, if it's a collage, really. It is a collage, but, you know, this is... Buckle up, everybody, because this is the first and only time you're going to see the artwork of Heinzel, Ortiz, Carmona... <laughs> Ian Kennedy... Yep, and in Kennedy, yeah. It's a poppin' cover, as they say. There's a lot of bold primary colours. Quote again, it's packed with all your eagle favourites. Well, I don't see the House of Damon in there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just keep me powder dry. Keep me powder dry. But uh, as mentioned on the cover, we have Dan Dare. We have the team of news du jour. We have Mannix. We have Doom Lord. uh, (coughs) You're right there. We have one and a half Doom Lords, in fact. Plus top features, quizzes and games. Note the punctuation. <laughs> <laughs> so let's virtually turn the page over. Uh, opening the cover starts off with an eagle hotline with a strap line. What a load of rubbish. But I think that's just an article. <laughs> it's just an article in there. There is no editorial. What no. a load of rubbish is just a little feature on space junk, which is, you know, which is interesting. Topical, forward-thinking, just unfortunately placed. Yeah, it is. Um, and a, a sort of a, we these days we'd call it an advertorial for a QED holidays. Yes, which do look quite fascinating and interesting. I didn't go and do any Google Foo to see whatever happened to them. But, um, yeah. I imagine they got taken around the back of the bike sheds and given a thorough dusting. It sounds like an extremely nerdy pursuit. You basically have puzzles and mysteries to solve whilst dragging your parents around vaguely historic sites. Do you actually have to drag your parents around or do they get to drop you off and go have a oh, no, you could be You could be chaperoned. You could mm. be chaperoned. That's true. Or you could be in Disney World, Florida. Yeah, yeah a bit of a, bit of a start <laughs> choice. Yes. yes. Hmm, what to do, what to do. Super Mum gets a feature. Shout out to the Super Mum. That looks like yeah. an awesome knitted jersey, even if the, the print reproduction is not that crash hot. And Super Mums are rare in Eagle, so they should be celebrated. Uh, in fact, mm. women in this issue are rare, so they should be celebrated as well. We move swiftly on. Just an observation. I do actually have a hard copy of this. Oh. It is quite large and glossy. It does look like a quality publication. We, we're going to stick the boot in, I think, dear listener. I, I, you may have got that sort of gist already. But um, 
in terms of paper quality and everything, it's quite a nice, feels good in the hand type of print stock. So okay. let's, let's just take, give it that one positive as good. we go forward. And speaking of going forward, we start with our first story. News team. Story by I don't know who. It would be Alan Hebdom if it was on form, but... Yeah. <laughs> Possibly Alan Hebdom. Art by Phil Gascoigne. Yes. He does a good Ortiz. Mm. You could have seen Gascoigne's other work mainly in battle action. That's where he'd sort of come from. Sadly, he passed away in 2007. Very nice to see his work here. In a story we like to call The Stalin General. <laughs> the team are in East Germany to cover a news conference. Sam Carter of the Chicago Herald Standard wants the story on the defection of top NATO General Stoltenberg. Fittingly, they take a VW combi across the border. But at the news conference, Jerry, the leader of the news team, causes a scene accusing Stoltenberg of being an imposter. Sure enough, after they're invited to leave by security, CB's audio picks up a mic at Stoltenberg's ear, feeding replies, and Kurt notices a recent facial bruise is missing, or unaccounted for, on the living man. See Schizoid Man and the Prisoner for a much better example of how to do this double, double take with bruises. See? Okay. Mm. So they track down the ringer's limbo and create a diversion so rats can attach a transmitter to the vehicle. So far, everybody's had a job, Dave. And then they track the vehicle, uh, and they find it out in the country next to a country house where the real Stoltenberg is being held against his will. It's a very big house in the country. Yes, he lives in a house against his will in the country. As the limo and a dummy escort leave the Dhaka, Rats opens his red box and the team arm up and intercept the convoy. They rescue the real Stoltenberg, who says he was drugged and kidnapped. Details, details. The fake Stoltenberg is actually the chief of the local Stasi. So using the real Stoltenberg to pose as the fake Stoltenberg's real alter ego, my head hurts. They head to a local airfield to catch a plane back to West Germany. Bon voyage! (laughs) Thank you. But five minutes later, the airfield guards are alerted and the small plane is soon under fire from a MiG Foxbat. Where the hell did that come from? CB calls the local Luftwaffe and somehow in the time it takes the MiG to put the smaller, slower plane back into its sights, Rescue wings in. They make it to West Germany. At the airfield, Stoltenberg asks Herr Maddox, Is there anything I can do for you? Just one thing, says Jake. You can give us a world-exclusive interview, a news team exclusive. Plus the van and all our kit we left behind in his billet. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the interviews team. Yeah. Why is it with I Was Monty's Double? You know, you always have someone low-level, you know, a lieutenant or some a janitor looking like this general. When You know, wouldn't it be more interesting the other way around? You have to send the general in on a secret mission to mop the floors. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Reappearance of our classic uh, German catchphrase, Donnerwetter. Yes. The words you use when your kebab is fallen in a puddle. Uh. <laughs> it's fairly standard stuff. It's not bad. It's just sort of there. Yeah. Nothing to taxing. Look, it was fine. (laughs) It's news team. So, you know, it already has a lot of good grace just by being so stupid that it's entertaining. It's the A-team. It's the man from UNCLE. It's Volcanic Adventure of the Week. It's possibly the news media at their most powerful, maybe. I don't know. I mean, from a reporter's angle, they want a news team exclusive. But really, it's Sam Carter's exclusive, isn't it? 
Or well, I guess it's anybody's exclusive who has the highest bid? I don't know. I don't, I've never actually thought about it before, but nowadays the news teams are affiliated with somewhere. You don't yeah. have these mercenary crews going out and doing stuff. Freelance, yeah. Yeah, not sure. It's interesting, and I'm not sure it ever stood up scrutiny then either. But, um, mm. Yeah. Speaking of not sure and things really not standing up to much scrutiny, because I don't care, <laughs> Sport Billy interviews, quote, demon bowler Bob Willis of the English team. Sadly, not an actual demon. And that's all I have to say about that. I didn't read it. I'm really sorry. Yep, fine. Absolutely fine. Yep. Because next we've got Manix. Story possibly by Alan Grant, but I don't think so. Art by Jeff Senior. Yes, I was quite surprised because somewhere, actually, see if you can spot it, it almost looks like it's signed by Brian Talbot. I have the same notes. It's so <laughs> Brian Talbot-y. Well, I have no problem with that. No, no, no. It's actually got Talbot written on a wall. I'll call it out when we get to it. <laughs> Seriously. Whoa. Anyway, Dave, in the past month, we've done two Egypt-based stories, haven't we? One for Scream and Scream Again and one for this. Yes, we have. Which one do I prefer? The one where the Sphinx doesn't actually have a nose? <laughs> Maybe it's a period piece. This is pre-Napoleonic shenanigans. Okay, you carry on with that. <laughs> is that not the story? The Sphinx's nose was used as target practice? It's the story, but there's historical evidence of, of it being lost long before the interview. Sure, sure. Yep. Bad rhinoplasty. It was Obelix. Um, <laughs> carry on. Egypt. Land of the Pharaoh's ancient tombs and 20th century violence, it says here. We opened with the explosive assassination of a busload of Western diplomats in said North African country. And back at Downing Street, Sir Orville is getting a thorough debriefing by the PM herself. Mm -hmm. It's the fifth attack this month, and at least ten have been high-ranking British statesmen. Guess the others don't really matter. Well, talk about art and life. Mm. Unfortunately, as to what would be happening ten years after all this, but yeah, carry on. Yeah. I don't think they realised how in bad taste it could potentially be at a future time. Speaking of bad taste, Muslim fanatics are to blame, using a new and deadly microscopic explosive. It should have been smog. It should have been smog. It is ripe for being smog. Uh, okay, carry on. High-tech problems call for high-tech solutions. Mannix is assigned. Within days, the android agent is in Cairo, outside the Rashid Tower, the dwelling of known connection Salim bin Khalut. He's on the third floor, so his window is an easy leap for Mannix. Bursting in through the window, our android assassin has the element of surprise, grabbing the startled Egyptian and scanning his apartment. He finds a safe in a wall and wastes no time, ripping its door off. He's in a hurry all the way through the story. They were all in a hurry. They need to have time to cover the wall safe with a painting or a rug <laughs> or a nothing. It's just, it's, there's a wall safe in the wall. I will scan for... Oh, there it is. <laughs> his powerful binocular eyes swept the room. Oh, there it is. Photos on the Facebook page, people. Cunningly disguised as a wall safe. Inside is the microbomb, which the now fanatic Salim snatches, and Mannix quickly defenestrates the man, who says, Nye! and explodes mid-air. Technical question. Yeah. Can you actually defenestrate someone if you've already broken the window coming in? Ah, true, 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 true. Well, you're only being thrown out of a window. You're not necessarily breaking the glass. No, I mean, the, yeah. the defenestration of Prague... 
continued after the first town official was pushed through the window. And when that explosion goes off outside, I suppose you've lost all the windows in the block. I think you've lost the argument, frankly. Uh, Fair enough. Okay, touche. You're right. Also in the safe is a coded book, which Mannix decrypts easily, following its directions to the terrorist's bomb factory on the outskirts of Giza. Diamond. If it was coded as well as the safe was hidden, it's probably written in English. (laughs) There's probably a great big X drawn on the ground. But when he arrives, there's nothing there but sand and pyramids. The perfect tourist-free disguise. The factory is inside a pyramid. Sure enough, X-ray optics confirm a group of dodgy-looking operators inside the tomb. With no time to puzzle out a hidden entrance, Mannix pulls a stone out of the structure and runs off into the darkness, leg thrusters to maximum power. Seconds later, he erupts into the highly explosive bomb room. The terrorists open fire in the highly volatile, stone-walled bomb room, but cannot penetrate Mannix's titanium shell. He shoots at least three, and then, when the magazine is empty, clubs another one to death with the butt. I'm not sure. Do I see a turban flying here, Dave? I think you do. Hmm. Two minutes later, all dead. He destroys the equipment thoroughly, but because robots feel no pity, leaves the bodies. Mm. It's too time-consuming. You must have a package tour to join Luxor, I'm thinking. There is no finer resting place for a man than a pharaoh's tomb. Somewhat weakened after the stone removal and gunfire within. Or not, the end. That's fair enough. Fair enough indeed. Oh, mummy. Do you have it handy, Peter? I do. Second to last page. <laughs> yes, it's sort of cod Arabic, but it mm. could be Talbot. <laughs> could be. <laughs> Photos really? on the Facebook page, Peter. Indeed. So that's Mannix. Our next feature is Doomlord's famous first quiz. Now, Doomlord is one of our few pictures, and he's in colour. Unfortunately so, because I think they thought it was in black and white, and that's why they haven't masked out any of the eye holes in the nostrils. Yeah, yeah, the actor looks slightly boss-eyed, possibly because he's breathing in bad fumes, unless that's cotton wool that's coming out of the flask. I think it's dish foam, to be honest. Uh, uh, that, That would be a shot from one of the stories, I'm sure... I'm thinking it's Doomlord 2. Yeah, but unfortunately, the colour doesn't help the fact it's a mask. Mm. Uh, if it's Doomlord 2, then he's Doomlord Vic? Or Doomlord Zill? He's Doomlord not appearing in this holiday special. That's, no. that's who he is. Uh, Doomlord putting his name on a quiz where who was the first person to jump on the moon? What did Roger Bannister do? I got 11 out of 12, I'm rather pleased to say. Which one did you not get? Oh, well, obviously the football one, because I don't care. Oh, fair enough. I did do it, I just didn't take note of the answers. I'm terribly sorry. (laughs) At least we now know that Doomlord is brown and has yellow hands, possibly because of all of that smoke. Mm -hmm. And a wonky finger. (laughs) Yeah, wonky eyes. Also, yellow is the next feature, which is Space Age Supercar. Mm. Doesn't look very Space Age now. (laughs) Oh, it has that nice DeLorean square boxiness to it. It does, sort of Elon Muskish. Yeah, yeah. They do say that nothing dates like the future. That is true. Although the advertising copy, I think they copied to write the article, doesn't help. No. And given the age of it, I can't tell if the £55,000 price tag is meant to be amazingly cheap or amazingly expensive. For me, the most amusing aspect of this is that it's called the Lagonda, which is the name of the famous tea rooms in my hometown. It's where all the buses have to stop on their way through to more interesting places. I mean, you can talk about your 143 miles per hour, but naming your car after literally the place where time stops, I don't know. (laughs) 
does it does have lots of lights on the dashboard. It, it does, it does, it does, and that's really what counts. Mm-hmm. Uh, next feature is well, it's sort of a running thing called Men of Action. Mm. Men. While I agree with the men of action thing is a little bit suspect to more modern eyes, I thought the article about the training to join the Met, Metropolitan yep. Police Force, was actually really quite good. And there is lots of information there on how you develop your skills and how you can become a river policeman or what you have to do to become a detective or work in forensics or work with the dogs. For three pages, it's got good photos, it's got good information. I actually enjoyed reading it, I must admit. Well, chicka-chicka to you. <laughs> <laughs> because there's nothing in there I didn't learn from Streetwise. Oh, they're, they're, they have women CID officers and they have... Yes, that's true. Streetwise has not featured any women coppers at all, has it? Apart from a dress-up for a, a, a panto, no. Yeah, that's, that's Streetwise's failing. Not this article, as you say. We do at least have one detective or forensics officer. I, I thought it was interesting. I, I, okay. Good for you. Good for you, Dave. But speaking of what Dave might have thought... Yes, indeed. We have The Collector. A story by... The Collector. Art by Ron Turner. Hey, he's done a few collectors now, hasn't he? He has, although we'll come back to that later. Among the macabre oddities in The Collector's collection is a small model plane, probably next to the dead pot plant, Peter, (laughs) which reminds the old man of an adventure he likes to call Fool's Cargo. In the African country of Baklava, Balaklava, Bakalalalava, something like that. I love Baklava. It's sweet too. <laughs> One of the smallest and most backward countries in the world, like Luxembourg or the Vatican, a cargo mm. plane for the Cargo Airlines Company, with a K, has stopped to refuel before proceeding to Europe. The flight crew are met by a strange figure wearing animal skins and skulls who claims he is Nakula, he looks like Screaming Lord Such. But no, he doesn't. He looks like Screaming Jay Hawkins. That's who he looks like. A local who has stumbled upon a consignment of the last corrupt government's fire sticks. And have I got a deal for me? <laughs> Nakula shows the obviously dodgy pilots crates of guns. And after some shenanigans, firing off random rounds and pointing the guns the wrong way, the tribesman makes a deal to pass over all the weapons to the aircrew for £5,000. Almost enough for a haunted mansion, Peter. (laughs) Deal done. The cargo airline's cargo crew, only one of those has a K, load up with the guns and fly off laughing at how little they paid for this consignment of contraband. But stopping at Hal's ear, no, I don't know either, the plane is set for a surprise customs inspection. Hal's ear? I don't think I'd want to fly with them. Well, you might need a map, Peter. I think it's near Bukharat. (laughs) The dodgy guys break out the guns and open fire on the local plod, only to discover they were all highly detailed water pistols. Wah, wah, wah. Pre-filled. Yes. Actually, if you did that in New Zealand nowadays, they'd have you for biosecurity. Yes, yes there's actually more danger in having water in those pistols. There's <laughs> probably West Nile virus or something in there. Anyway, finish the story. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in Bakalaka-ding-dong, Nakula, now suited and clean-shaven, has the last laugh over his ill-gotten gains. And, and that's the end of a non-supernatural collector story. The second-to-last collector story ever. Oh. Dave, is it racist if it plays on racist stereotypes for the twist? 
I have exactly the same thing in my notes. Is it racist if you're conning the villains into being racist? I don't know. It's obviously not the first time the cargo crew have been up to something shady. Mm. So there is a comeuppance element to it. But, yeah, I don't know. Mm. It does all look a bit... Um, Circumstantial. Opportunistic. No, I was going to say, what's which, which, the James Bond movie? Oh, uh, Live and Let Die. Live and Let Die. It's Lord Sandy or whatever it was out of that. Yeah, Baron Samedi. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, hey, it's not, you know, it's not the Mark or Curse. No, and, but apart from spraying the customs chaps and the comments about water importation before, have they actually committed a crime? In fact, given they're spraying the police rather than potential shady buyers who take a very dim view of it all, mm. are they actually better off? I don't know. It's, it's, it's all but weird. <laughs> and as you say, you know, point one, if they were stopped in New Zealand with a full water pistol, ooh, there'd be trouble. And a piece of fruit. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> God forbid a piece of fruit. But speaking of taking a dive in the drink, Peter. Yes. Epics of sport. The first of a, a series of reprints from somewhere. Don't quite know where. Tiger, maybe? Look and learn to me, but... Yeah, it has that look. The artist is whoever did Agents of the Queen back in their look and learn days. Anyway, yeah. the challenge of the channel, where we tell the story of young Matthew Webb and his adventures to cross the English Channel in 21 and three quarter hours. Good on him. But did he do it for charity? Yeah. But leaning back to our previous discussion about the collector, speaking of shaggy dog stories, Peter. Indeed. It's Parco. What's Parco? Parco is from the pages of Valiant. Probably this is around about 1976. Likely when John Wagner was editing Valiant. Mm -hmm. um, Valiant went through lots and lots of cycles, as uh, comics fans may well know. Uh, and this seemed to be the penultimate before it was absorbed into battle. So I'm going to put my neck out and say that storyline may be by John Wagner. Possibly. And art by John Stokes. Yes. I, I got a, a feeling that just given the nature of the story, it's, it doesn't look like it's a serialised story that's been clumped together. So it might be out of another annual or another holiday special. Yeah, it's it's got a very standalone aspect to it. The story of Paco is, well, on the face of it, it looks like it's the littlest hobo it's about a dog wandering around having scrapes and meeting people and making friends before he hits the road again but the broader story of Paco is that he's actually an outcast because he's a half breed he's um half german shepherd half wolf mm -hmm. and uh he's put up for dog fights and that kind of stuff so he's seen some stuff he's like the one-eyed jack london <laughs> well well put yes was London being the uh, main actor who played the Little Snowbow, but that's a segue too far. Let's get back to mm. the main story. We have a cold opening. Um, Paco has done a Jim Hardy of Walk or Die fame and has got caught in the Canadian wilderness between a mother grizzly and her cubs, and it's a fight to the death. Paco gets in some good street fighting bites, but the grizzly bears down, and it's only the shot from a gun that saves him. That scares the bear off, by the way. No bears harmed otherwise. Uh, mm -hmm. The gun's owner is Zeke. He's a uranium prospector, so he probably glows in the dark. <laughs> yes. And rescues Paco and takes him back to his cabin. He tends to his nasty wounds and numbs the pain. So Paco stays with Zeke for a few weeks, and at night he hears the howling of wolves. And uh, is it his ancestors? Is it a voice that keeps on calling him? I don't know. <laughs> it is the literal call of the wild. So Paco's not really going to stay there for very long. It looks like he's about to go. And he toddles off. And that morning, Zeke gets up and Paco's gone. 
There's no time to wonder where the dog's gone because he's ambushed by three other men who are prospectors after his claim. So exciting. They shoot him in the shoulder and tie him up, meaning to beat it out of him or to drive him crazy with thirst. But then Paco reappears, returning for Zeke. The poachers take a shot at it and miss, and Paco knocks one down. His buddy grabs a bowie knife and lunges at the dog, but street-tough Paco dodges the blade and it instead finds its home into the gut or possibly the chest of the downed gunman. And as he rises, Paco clamps his neck in his jaws. Zeke manages to free himself and grabs the gun. He ties up his attackers and Paco hits the road. The end. Mm-hmm. That's Paco. Again, nothing wrong with it. It's it's just not Doom Lord. <laughs> Lest we forget that Doom Lord was a dog as well. He was, and an outcast. He did a great job. He was a good boy. If they turned into Death Lords, maybe. Anyway... <laughs> I am curious about the overall story of Paco. I understand there's a boy in a touching reunion at the end. Spoilers. But from what I've been able to find online, Paco at least fights a mountain lion, which is one more wild animal than Jim Hardy did. So I'm interested. It was in the, if you excuse the pant, the dog days of Valiant. <laughs> it's not very well recalled like One-Eyed Jack or some of the more anthropomorphically based Valiant yeah, stories. Kelly's Eye. Yeah. Speaking of every dog having his day, Peter. Yes. It's Dan Deer. Story by... I have a theory. Go for it. I think it's Pat. Oh, okay. I think it's a Pat Mill story. Fair enough. I have a couple of things to back that up. Art by Oliver Frey in a story we like to call Give Me a Tug. (laughs) Which is a climbing reference requesting someone provides a belay. Peter, keep your mind out of a gutter. Yeah, you're right. Dandir and Quad Man's Digby Scoby are on escort duty, watching over a priceless asteroid of precious ore being ferried across the solar system by space tugs. It's a special but very boring mission given to them by the space fox himself, Sir John Ramsey. And once again, Eagle foretells the future if you've been watching the NASA news about finding priceless asteroids out in the Kuiper Belt and places like that. Mm. This is Space Cadet Deer. Um... No, I don't believe so, but we'll... Oh. Because the Mekon is a player, so... Mm, mm, true, true, true. But Scobie's in it, so yes. But the monotony is broken by a random comet fragment which damages their escort fighter. And Lieutenant Agano goes to investigate and is suddenly seen floating outside without a spacesuit. Not a good move. It's definitely not Astronaut 101. No, before anyone can act, a gun-wielding stowaway storms the bridge. It is the snail-faced alien Albino the Sticks. Albino, A-L-B-E-E-N-O. Clue number one that it's a Pat Bill story. Oh, okay. It's just a, a punish name. Okay, fair enough. Most wanted space terrorist for hire and chief undercover agent for the Mekon. I didn't want to show myself to determine that your engineer stumbled on my hiding place. <laughs> That's the last time I'm going to do that. Oh, please, no. Albino then kills another uppity crew member before explaining he plans to steal the ore asteroid to build a couple of Mekontan battle fleets and wants Dare to command the space tugs to change course to rendezvous with a Venusian factory ship. But Dan explains the ship might still be damaged by the comet strike and gets a grudging Albino. Al- mm, Albino. I keep on saying Albino in my head. <laughs> Albino, Albino to allow for a spacewalk and an internal inspection. 
Having conned the terrorist outside of the ship, a space-suited Dan tries to grapple the Gunnelfin, but only manages to break his own tether and send himself tumbling into space. Suddenly, using Dan's predicament as a distraction, Scobie flies in with a jetpack, overpowering Albino and saving a floating Dan. There's a bit of to and fro about Albino calling Scobie fat, so Scobie uses his weight. Yes. Well, not that Albino fills his spacesuit out in a decorous manner. No. I must admit. They then land on the asteroid to meet up with the Tugs crews and are met by the Space Fox himself. The whole mission has been a ruse to catch Albino and the real ore asteroid has been shipped separately, leaving Dan and Scobie feeling a little expendable. Hmm. What a dick. Very Pat Mills, now you say it. <laughs> yes. That's the other clue. It's not a lot of respect for the upper echelons. No. And, and also it does tie into Scobie and Space Cadet Tear, even though it's obviously set later. Yeah. Again, everything's happening. Uh, Frey's art is lovely. Mm-hmm. feels a bit limited being in black and white. Mm. For all but two panels. Mm. Albino is suitably alien. Just it, it just feels a little bitsy. It's sort of... I was a little bit sad that there was so much black and white in it. Um, yeah. I'd have been, I'd, well, I've, I think both of us would have willingly sacrificed a colour Doom Lord page for a bit more colour dare. Well, have especially seen Frey's art in the last annual, mm. where he does make the space escapes lovely colours like the original Dan Deer series. Whereas here, they're just, it's a bit sort of, it's black and white and grey. I think we're still too for nil on the theory that Oliver Frey's stories are in their own little bubble. That's not wrong with that. And again, that's more the fault, I think, of the lack of coordination of the comic book deer strips, mm. with him vanishing off to far, far places with little concern about time. Mm. But for a weightless story, it just lacks little gravity. <laughs> I thought it was a little bit sluggish in places. Photos <laughs> uh, on the Facebook page, people. Hey, speaking of the Mekon, let's write all over his face with a crossword. Not a crossword, and a crossword. Explain. Well, with a crossword, you have words vertically and horizontally. Yes. This is just filling them out horizontally. And I have checked, there are no secret messages in there. You know, make it an acrostic crossword. Hmm? So there's no secret vertical message. Yeah, there's no secret messages going in other directions like James May off Top Gear used to write in car annuals and magazines. Yeah, yeah, that would make it, as I say, an acrostic crossword. Uh, Sorry, you're quite right, yes. (laughs) I have actually tried to fill it out to see if, and I can't find anything. The only scary hidden thing is actually one of the answers is Jimmy Savile. Yeah. Moving along. Speaking of things not racing along. Epics of sport number two. Moifa, the unconquerable. About a a horse that survives a shipwreck to go on to win the 1904 Grand National. So he was crossing the Irish Sea and there was a storm and the ship broke apart. A surprising amount of detail given that Moifa... The horse is the only survivor, but they seem to have pieced together that he hammered away and broke his uh, housing, and then once on the deck, jumped off into the water, and then made it to uh, to a nearby island, who were completely unaware of what they had in their hands. Well, they knew it was a horse, obviously, but um, they didn't know it was Australian racehorse, Moifa. Nice art, nice yeah. story, yeah. but a little bit too much filler, me thinks. Mm. And again, suspicious story. But, uh, yeah, speaking of suspicious stories, <laughs> text stories, die. The text story for this special is The Multimobile. I don't know who, who wrote it, but the art, I, is, I think, is by Mike Weston. Okay. 
Lance Wheelman, true name honest, was an expert racing driver, but never before had he seen anything quite like the Multimobile. Basically, it's a six-page text story that feels like a script treatment for a Jerry Anderson series. Hell does it. May as well have been called Supercar, but that had been taken by the Lagonda. Yes. Um, you're stealing my notes, Peter. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, we've got, we've got the square-drawed driver hero and his young ward trying to drive a futuristic flying, driving, diving, all singing, all dancing sports car on a mission for a and other batty scientist. Uh, and avoiding the machinations and ever more explosive traps of the mysterious villain. <laughs> Who's called? I didn't even write it down. He's called Conrad's Lob. <laughs> <laughs> but he looks like Master Spy out of Supercar. Uh, yeah, he does. I'm really sorry, Conrad, of Space Spinner 2000. <laughs> but you have a villain, at least partially, sharing your name. And they go through all these trials and tribulations before discovering it was just a field test to assess the military applications of this wonderful vehicle. Golly gee whiz, the end. You know, with all of the boffins and the kids and scrapes and racing, this should have been an invisible boy story. It certainly has enough exclamation marks. <laughs> with model work by Julian Baum. It would have been lovely. Well, you'd save on boy models. Yeah. I must admit, I fell asleep reading it. <laughs> Took me a couple of tries to actually get to the end. I got nothing. It feels like it should have been done in the 60s. Hmm. You could probably run the license plate and and try and work out what vintage the the story would have been. Hmm. But, um, yeah. Could have been Doom Lord. (laughs) Could have been. Moving swiftly on like Moifer. Hand game. uh, It's a game. The playing board is in the shape of a hand. So why not have Luke Hackett from The Hand as your feature theme? I didn't play it. It's for two players or more, and I don't have another player here. Oh. I know. Don't you patronise me. <laughs> I very rarely would read the text stories in any of these, and I have never played any of the games. But this one looks quite interesting, because you've got some sort of fudgy system by which you just have to click points. It's like bingo with dice. So, interesting. Mm-hmm. Not interesting enough to play, but Interesting. I wonder if it was also a Valiant import and it was based on an old game based around the Steel Claw. That would have made sense. They wouldn't have bothered redrawing it, surely. No. But maybe, <laughs> maybe, could be. Yes, hang on a moment. One, two... Yeah, each each hand has got a couple of extra knuckles. That's that's something a bit alien about it. Mm. They're a bit Doom Lordy fingers. <laughs> Next feature is the third and last Epics of Sport. It's the first marathon. Surely we all know this story. And it's in colour. Yeah. And dear is not. Hey. The story of the first marathon, although only the first half of it is the story of the Spartan Mm. battle news, and the second half, which is more interesting, is the first Olympic Games and the runner who won that from Greece. And died. (laughs) No, no, not that one. That one didn't die. He got got free meals for a year. Oh, okay. Did he cross a large body of water, like the last two epics of sport? No. Then I don't care. He went over a bridge. Okay. Different, but not the same. Speaking of crossing bodies of water, Peter. Yeah, men of action, pilots. Basically, how to join a flight school. Yep. Keep a steady hand is the first rule. Yes. <laughs> Anyone remembers that ad from probably well before the 80s? Uh, no. Speaking of having a good memory. Or not. Or not. Could you be a Joe Soap? Story <sighs> by, I don't know. Art by John Vernon. Yeah. And I think it's Could You Be A Soap because it looks nothing like him. That's fine. It's still proof of concept that you could still continue Joe Soap like you did with Streetwise and he didn't look like anything 
like Streetwise either. Thanks, John Vernon. In fact, Joe Soap looks more like Streetwise. Than... <laughs> I want to see Joe Soap and Streetwise in a group together. Photos or drawn. <laughs> From now on, they occupy the same universe. Could, could Streetwise be actually the man Joe Soap aspires to be? And these are his fantastic stories about it. Oh God, I hope it's in that order. <laughs> In a two-page Spot the Clues style story, our hero Joe bumbles his way through a stolen car caper, mm. missing details like changed number plates and news headlines. Footprints. And managing to destroy evidence and hampering the police investigation. Pretty standard stuff. I'm, I'm mm. not going to try and surmise it because it's just Joe Soap being Joe Soap. And you go and check how Joe Soap went wrong a few pages down the line. I think we posted it on the Facebook page and you can have a go yourself. It's not offensive. It's two pages. It's Joe Soap. It lacks the warmth and the fun of Joe Soap. It's a little bit sort of earnest. I think so. But you, once you put in your head Honest Harry, the used car salesman, sounding like a spiv out of Dad's Army and stuff. Yeah. If you know Joe Soap, you'll get the vibe for it. And if you don't know Joe Soap, it's two pages of fun. It's a game. Yeah. I'm more likely to play it than the hand game. Well, you need another player for the hand game. Actually, phrasing probably is a flame. I've just heard myself. <laughs> Speaking of unfortunate things you need to play... The LA Olympics. I didn't play that either. No. <laughs> Sorry. Ah, surely, hopefully, this is the last. Because this is the UK summer and the LA Olympics were in July of 1984, hopefully this is the last time the Eagles will be banging on about the LA Olympics and the English and British athletes going. To be honest, the new Eagles since the revamp hasn't had the Daily Thompson, hasn't had the sporting aspect of it that that it used to when it was a magazine rather than a comic. Mm. So, you know, I think this is the last gasp of trying to be relevant with sport. Look, it's something that was actually on my mind earlier on with the hotline, what a load of rubbish. And that's, this is pre-internet. So that's true. this kind of stuff is actually you know, what you might find on a web page for, you know, kids' activities these days. But pre-internet, world of print, this is yeah. actually totally what comics did, unless they were, you know, obviously 2000 AD. Yes. Certainly Valiant, even Action and Tiger and all of those comics were doing features about what's going on. And sports is a thing. That is true. No, no, and it's a fair comment. And we're, we're probably being a bit harsh on it because we're... We're old grumpy guys who probably couldn't run a sub-four-minute mile. 20 minutes of my news hour every night when I could be learning about the outside world. But no, apparently it's news. <laughs> Two teams played a game. One of them won. Whoopee. <laughs> Bitter. <laughs> Not Time to pull out the ejection seat, Peter. <laughs> this week in the arts? No, there's no time for that. It's sports. It could be the marvels of science, Peter. The ejection seat, which fools death. Which I am pretty sure is a reprint out of the Look and Learn. Mm. Or, if not the Look and Learn, the World of Knowledge or something like that. Yeah. Which, seeing that ended a few years earlier, doesn't make it the cutting-edge science technology, perhaps, that it's meant to be. Again, possibly things you always wanted to know about ejector seats, but were afraid to ask. The only other thing I'd say is, with the uh, Olympics coverage... And the ejection seat thing, a lot of creative white space. You know, it's not it's not actually dense on information. It's being kind. <laughs> they didn't even manage to slip an, an Ernie in there. Actually, I forgot that Ernie's in there. Yes, he's 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 Jolly in the, he's in the hotline, sitting in a rainy weekend, watching a summer holiday on the telly. 
Yeah, with a, a fan heater on mm. Cook. Yeah. Anyway, we're near the end. <laughs> speaking of near the end, Peter. Speaking yes. of twisted intrigue and making a mess of things, Peter. It's Crow Street Comp. Story, I don't think it's by Fred Baker. Same reason as you think the other one's by Pat Mills, that something doesn't sit right. Watch the space art by Ron Turner. And I was really surprised at this because it, it looks like Ron Turner and the fact it's got those clean lines and things that Ron Turner does. But he's actually made an effort to give everyone expressions and character and th- stuff, which every time we've seen Ron Turner, it's been for the collector and it's been a and other person. Mm. Whereas here, he's actually, you can tell this is clobber. You can tell this is hot lips. They look different to the normal Rex Archer ones. Mm-hmm. but they're consistent within themselves and he's put this character together. I really actually quite like the art on this, even though it's very different to what we normally have. They're consistent in that they're Ron Turner characters because everybody is slightly gat-toothed. Well, yes, but, you know, they've got to have a house star. Yeah, yeah. But it is the kids of Coast Street Comp in an adventure we like to call Don't Stop, Baby! <laughs> <laughs> It's just another school day in the holiday purgatory that is Crow Street School. And Clobber Gates is, as usual, baiting baby Bristow by dumping a fly into his school canteen soup, putting the younger boy off his food and allowing Fatso Parsons to scoop in for an extra helping of bangers and mash. He even does the OG style bangers and mash with a big pile of mashed potato with the sausages sticking out yeah. all over the place. And hang on a minute, let's, let's, let's do a quick count up. At least four sausages. I mean, this is not a state school meal. Well, it's possibly several state school meals. Not nowadays. You're lucky if you get a burger and a... What do they call them? A sloppy joe. Sloppy joe, yeah, slider. Anyway, Linda and Boo Boo catch up with the nauseous Bristow and console the boy while they plot their feminine revenge. So, later that day, as Clobber returns from cleaning blackboards in the Queen of Dragons, Mrs. Bud's class, Clobber sits down and... <laughs> Linda has ducked. I can't do that probably. <laughs> Fix it in post. <laughs> Linda has dumped a whoopee cushion onto a seat. And as old Mother Bud drags Clobber off to the headmaster's room, Clobber thinks it was Bristow's practical joke and vows a bloody vengeance as soon as school is over. Realising their mistake, the girls vow to protect the boy. Hero's journey on pocket money prices, Peter. <laughs> pausing only to let Linda give Sugar Ray such a slap. She's one heck of a dame. Fair, fair. He deserved that slap. How long have we been waiting for that, Peter? This is why I don't think it's Rick's Archer. You know, this is yeah. the reality we wouldn't normally see. Everybody, he was being unforgivably sexist. That They then race out the side gate onto Alma Street and into the market. Have you got your map, Andy, Peter? Oh. But before they can escape, they are cornered by Creeper, Clobber, and Frankenstein Wills on bikes. I don't get that. What's going on? It's not Archer. It's someone else going, here's the character named this. Yeah. We will get them to do that. You know, it's that's why I don't think it's a Rex Archer story. Yeah, I mean, he's he is literally identified as one of Clobber's gang. Yeah, whereas previously with Bristow and not Clobber and Creeper, but other people's antics, Frankenstein's the voice of reason who tells them to cop themselves on. So, mm. canon? I think not. They dash through the market to the unfeasibly steep high street. That's why it's high. It's so steep. <laughs> Where a panicked Bristow races across the road against the lights, totally ignoring the green cost code. See, Space Spinner, it's a thing. 
splink, when suddenly, from out of nowhere, that pesky, petrified pupil is picked up by a preposterously plummeting pram ploughing down the precipitous non-pedestrian pavement. Bristow barrels past multiple vehicles, managing to narrowly avoid trucks and vans and, and an Anhara delivery truck, and as the plot and the pram rapidly lose momentum, Bristow manages to gain control over this wayward vehicle. The pram's owner, a young mother of the child that miraculously appears inside, races up and plants a kiss in Bristow's gob. It's Bates's cousin's uncle's brother's wife. Grudgingly, Clobber admits that was a fairly heroic save, and he shakes Baby's hand and promises not to bash him again. Well, not for this week anyway, eh, readers? <laughs> Clobber breaks the fourth wall. He winks at me, Dave. It's all taking place in a snow globe, I tell you. <laughs> That's why it's so surreal. Two babies in a pram. Two babies in a pram. And you can actually see the baby in the various shots. And they were nearly wiped out by an alt transport truck. Mm. So as baby had no control, the alt nearly deleted. Interesting stuff. Like the artwork. I'd have called it baby driver. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Fair enough. And after that, we have a quick ad for an eagle issue that we've covered previously with the Grenzalore. <laughs> we have closed gyrosite mist. And if you enjoyed reading the special, you'll be even more amazed and thrilled by Eagle Wheatley. It's nine powerful stories make it the best comic of, for boys of all ages. Yeah. Between the ages of nine and 30. And we end with an eagle data file, eagle eye of the lifeboat Sea Guardian. Um, give us a tug. Yeah, <laughs> nice bit of a throwback, a painterly yes. eagle eye again. They must have just found that one down the back of the file. They don't have any of the points, but yes, no, it definitely feels like this should have been on the back page or something somewhere you know, a year ago. Do you get the feeling sometimes that annuals, I mean, certainly our other little mini-series podcast is, is going to bear this out, but once you get to the annuals, you do get a sense of, oh, we forgot to put this in when the going was good. Whether it was, you know, Eagle in its Fumetti era or Scream um, when it was going, <laughs> they're not so much sort of reprints and cast-offs as sometimes there's a lucky find. It's quite possible, although I have always wondered with the Eagle Eyes, how many of those are actually maybe not taken from somewhere else, but some of the art looks very familiar from things like The Look and Learn, so mm, it's a bit hard to tell. Yeah. But yeah, that's one thing that does feel like it was from the Fumetti period. But everything else, a bit touch and go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sort of nostalgic for Old Eagle, but with the mix of weird authors and unfamiliar artists doing our stories, for better or worse. Oh, well, the, the only one that's actually unfamiliar is whoever did the Crow Street thing. Yeah. If it was Pat Mills, as you reckoned, he's the guy to be doing Dan Dare. Hmm. Hmm. And... The only unfamiliar artist, I mean, Oliver Frey does dare in the holiday specials and the annuals, and he's very good at it too. Totally canon. So the only unfamiliar artist is Ron Turner for, for Crow Street and Mannix. Mm. And Mannix just feels right. Mannix should have been smog. You know, there's just something tonally just a bit off about everything. It's all mm. pitched to slightly wonky. And yeah, I, I call back Leiden's law of comic dynamics too much reprint, too much weird stuff, too much text. There's not enough actual eagle in it, really. We're all going on a bummer holiday, Dave. 
Oh, what? Okay, positive thoughts, Peter. What's your favourite part of the, the special? Okay, um, favourite story or favourite feature? Favourite feature? Swimming horse uh, <laughs> and seahorse. And favourite story? Dandir. I, I like Dandir. It actually had some action. Yes. But I am bummed out that it was in black and white. Yes. Can't we colorize it? Can't we get someone in to colorize it? Mm. Bottom story, Max. Come on. As yeah. you say, too many opportunities missed. Yeah. I will search for the secret <laughs> secret safe. <laughs> oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. I I've got to say my, my favorite. I I do like the police force article. I did think that was quite well done. Cool. Every day's a school day. And apart from a few bum notes, that would be a cracker Crow Street story in the comic. Yeah. Seeing Sugar Ray getting getting the well-deserved slap and making him a spotty get. Yeah, they all look a bit more grungy. It's an interesting slice of what Crow Street might have could, been. Could have been, yeah. As for the comics, yeah, I've got to agree with you. It's it's probably Mannix, but actually, no, what I'm most disappointed with is the Doom Lord comic. That's, that's I've, gonna, I've said it enough times, I'm going <laughs> to nail it to the cross. The Doom Lord comic pissed me off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't put Heinzel on the cover. And then dodgy colour photo of yeah. the Doom Lord mask, which is stealing colour from Dare. But but it's interesting because we know from the history that they knew Doom Lord was a, a good commodity. We said that last year, or we did we say that for the first Eagle Christmas annual? Yep, yep. We haven't had a Doom Lord strip or something in any of the annuals or specials yet. They're coming up. Yes, it's a good one. But you're sitting there going, why? Why? What's going on? Yeah. Very strange. But on a happier note, we do hope that you're enjoying your enforced holiday or break or whatever it is you're doing. Stay safe and well. Normal service will be resuming shortly, although we might be having another slightly macabre Christmas this year. Someone play the hand game and tell us how it went. (laughs) Eager eagle minds wish to know. So with no further adieus, it's adieu. It's a good night from me. And a stay safe and well from me. Good night. Good night. Sit, Paco, sit. Woof. Good dog.